Joining me for this episode is Stan Gleason, the senior pastor of the Life Church of Kansas City, Missouri. He also serves as the assistant general superintendent of the Western Zone of the United Pentecostal Church. And if you haven't figured it out already, he is my dad and my hero. Hello, dad. Hello, Justin. So nice to be with you on this podcast. Absolutely. Now, we're going to try to be serious with this, but uh, recently uh, you started playing a jam while you were preaching, an old 70s tune, and you are playing air guitar. <laughs> you said, this is a one-hit wonder, and you said, everybody, I don't want none of you to be one-hit wonders for God. Does anybody here know this song? And nobody said anything, but I knew it. That's I recognize that song, that da-da-na-na-na. And I started singing, I went up to the spirit in the sky. That's where I'm going to go when I die. And what did you think when I started singing that? Well, the first thought that came to my mind is, who in the world is trumping my message right now and singing out loud while I'm trying to make an awesome point. The next thought I had was, it's got to be some guest. There's some visitor over here to my left. And then I thought, wait a minute. I recognize that voice. (laughs) And as I recall, it brought the house down. It brought the house down. I don't think I've ever sing a solo that great. <laughs> well, you know, I've been off paternity leave, on paternity leave for about three weeks, and I think I was just ready for church, and my mind wasn't where it needed to be from the lack of sleep. But it was a powerful point. Don't be a one-hit wonder like Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that was awesome. But, uh, yeah, we'll try to keep it <laughs> serious here. But Dad and I have a phenomenal relationship, and we like to have a good time. But... Uh, we have a good time. We're, we have a great father-son relationship, but it's also a um, pastor and employee uh, relationship. And there's just been so many amazing things that you have said uh, in the last several months that have just uh, really caught my attention, things I've been really meditating on and thinking about. And a lot of it has to do with where the church is at right now, like people, individual saints, churchgoers. And we're asking ourselves the question, where is the church's attention? Where do you think it is right now, and why do you think it's there? I think this is one of the most difficult times for local churches, right? and particularly for pastors that lead them. In fact, Barna Research in the last 12 months came out with a study on local pastors of all denominations, and they interviewed pastors, and they discovered that 38% of pastors of all stripes and labels, 38% have considered resigning in the last 12 months. So COVID has had a powerful impact. Uh, That would be way up. The normal consideration of resignation would be probably down around 8 to 10%. So 38% is very significant. And I think this is attributed to congregations, you know, closing their doors. Mm. Uh, What pastors are now calling pre-COVID attendance, you know, attendance is down. Mm -hmm. Most pastors that I've talked to, the interesting thing is attendance is down, but finances are up. I hear that too. 
That's interesting. Yes, it is very good. I think people are saying maybe we can't get to church or won't get to church or don't feel comfortable going to church right now, but we're going to support our church. We don't want our church to go down. So where is the attention of the church right now, or how do we get the attention of the church? I think that uh, God perhaps is using COVID to accomplish that very thing. Absolutely. Uh, We've never seen anything like it. The whole world has been impacted by it. We're discovering now that uh, the prophetic was alerted as to COVID. Even you yourself knew that something was coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Others saw very uh, specifically, very clearly, for example, Sister Flo Shaw uh, had a vision. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, she, in November, she was of 2019, she was in prayer. She already had a um, trip to China planned. And she was in prayer, and the Lord spoke to her and said, something's coming out of China. It will impact the entire world. Pay attention to the news closely. And then she saw in detail the molecular structure of the COVID-19 virus. Mm. And she drew a sketch of it. I saw a picture of the sketch. It's remarkably similar to the actual COVID molecule. Whoa. So there were a lot of things that unfolded. But anyway, I was so relieved to know that God had spoke to a prophetess among us and had informed her of what was coming. At first, I was you know, having a problem with why, if, it, if it's impacted the whole world, why didn't we know about this? Mm-hmm. And then to find out that someone saw it, that God gave a warning, then I was okay, because that's how the prophetic should operate. God does not allow anything to happen worldwide without coming down and talking to someone that he's close to about it. Be it Abraham before he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, or be it Noah before the world is in water. Mm -hmm. COVID is being used by God. It's an instrument by God to shift the church, to shake us, to alert us, to realize that life is temporary. We've all lost somebody. Sure. Due to COVID. We, every church has buried somebody. And uh, this is a mechanism, I think, that God's using to get our attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it got a lot of our attention. Some people thought it was the end of the world, and <laughs> it didn't draw them closer to God. It drove them, drove, drove them really away from the Lord. You remember Brother Bernard's message, uh, General Conference 2020? Talked about brother uh, missionary, retired missionary Daniel Scott's uh, word from the Lord that he felt. I mean, that was on. Yes. I didn't Bishop say he kept that in his briefcase. He did. He just kept it in his briefcase, prayed about it. So I think a lot of people felt something. You know, with, with a prophecy like that, a lot of it was vague. Most prophecy is it's a dark saying. A lot of times you don't know what it is until, until it's fulfilled. Like, you know, it's Christmas season. Isaiah foresaw a virgin would conceive. Well, <laughs> how, how can you make sense of that 800 years before it happens until when it happens? Ah, it knows. So, I mean, there's, even Brother Cisco, Jason Cisco, was saying things on social media 
you know, that kind of came to pass that kind of were mysterious sayings, but they all kind of flowed together. Mark Morgan said things, even Brother Hernandez uh, said things. It wasn't direct. It was a dark saying, but now we're here and we know what God was showing us. So God knew what was happening all along. And all reality, Jesus said these things would happen. There would be pestilence. So I think in the beginning, it really got our attention in the wake of COVID-19, but it seems like we're kind of getting used to it, adapting just as human beings do. Uh, What are some things you think that churches could do to really get the attention of the people to say, hey, let's move forward. Let's have revival and be the church, not feel hunkered down. You know, not to, you know, when you're sick, when you got the flu, you can't do anything. Well, a lot of us feel fine, but it, we feel like can't do anything. And what do you think we can do to get the attention of the church back on the mission? Yes. Well, I think there's several things, but um, what we're doing at the Life Church to start this year is we're calling the church to a 40-day season of prayer and fasting. We're calling it 40 Days of Fire. That's nothing original with us, but it just resonates in my spirit. Absolutely. And there's nothing that will give the church a spiritual sensitivity to what's going on, what God is saying, uh, and to wake us up and give us discernment. I think the key word right now is discernment. Uh, Discernment uh, with what news we're getting, discernment with things that the president is saying, discernment with what the medical uh, forces that be are telling us, mm-hmm. uh, discernment about um, just all the prescriptions that are being thrown at us, you know, vaccine or no vaccine. And now we've got words we've never heard of. You know, Delta used to be an airline, but now it's a, it's a variant. <laughs> and Omicron and, you know, these words that are now in the mainstream that we never heard of just a a couple years ago. I think pastors are wise and church members are wise to get back to prayer, get back to basics, get back to fundamentals, get back to fasting and seeking God. The holidays are here. There's a lot of family time, a lot of recreational time. This is all good. It's healthy. It's a part of the balance of how we live in our lives. But I think January is always a good time to get the church's attention. January is a time when people are open to change. Yes. You know, people are thinking about, you know, am I going to join a health club? You know, am I going to lose weight? And what am I going to do to straighten out my finances? And, Mm. you know, all these resolutions that people make. Well, I've learned as a pastor. Uh, entering my 39th year of pastoring, that January is the optimum month of the year that people are most open to make a change in their life. And so this is a time to cast vision. It's a time to talk about, uh, in my opinion, it's time to talk about what are people doing with their finances, their resources, the stewardship of their calendar. Are they just going to waste time or they're going to make a difference for the kingdom. So January is a good time to fast, to pray, to seek God. Of course, we always go to because of the times in January. Mm -hmm. There's no easy way to get to Alexandria, but it's always 
rewarded with an amazing conference. And that is, I know that, you know, pastors leave their focus with direction. Yeah. Shout out to Anthony Mangan. <laughs> That's correct. We love the Mangans. Yes, we do. And uh, they're dear to us. And I tell Brother Anthony all the time, I don't even want to think about the United Pentecostal Church without him and the POA. They're such a hmm. vanguard congregation. And I've said for years that Brother Anthony may not have a title in the organization, but he definitely has influence. Oh, of course. And that's what true leadership is, and he's been a great, a great light for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take advantage of the season. We're coming into January. People are looking to change, looking to, uh, for a fresh start, and why not get things right with the Lord? You know, it used to be people really started slowing down, at least here in Kansas City and across the Midwest around mid-November because winter had already been here. But now it seems like winter is pushed and we're lucky to get, lucky to get a white Valentine's Day. <laughs> we're having white snowy Easter's. And it's been that way since the tsunamis. So let's take advantage of it. If we got good weather in January, let's pray fast, have more church, more prayer meetings. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe Al Gore was right after all. We're in global warming. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You've said it. Other, other ministers have said it. As far as I know, I have not heard of anybody healed of COVID-19. Yeah, I've heard of people healed of the flu. Uh, there's stories uh, in our family. Uh, mom's uh, grandmother, Erie Dyson, prayed for a child who had scarlet fever. It, the, the fever left immediately. But I haven't, I haven't yet heard of anybody healed of COVID-19. Have you? It would be difficult to answer that question because certainly we've prayed. Mm-hmm. Some have died and others have not. Mm-hmm. So were they healed spontaneously by the miraculous power of God? Were they, did they recover by the power of God? Was it medicine? Was it just, you know, the COVID running its course? It's hard for me to answer that question, actually. Right. But I would say that somebody, you know, on a ventilator, someone went into the hospital, prayed for them, ventilator came off immediately, and they got up and walked out. No, I've not I heard, heard any heard stories that. like that. Pray for people to be healed of cancer. That's happened. Cancer just some ways dramatically uh, has left people's bodies. Uh, broken bones have mended. People with scoliosis, back healed. Uh, pe- all kinds of conditions, but I have yet to hear of anybody healed of COVID-19. It's almost like I, I feel like the authority over it, over, over it is different to not cast it out. But if anything, pray for recovery. Body, the human body would be strengthened. The immune system, all of that, fight the virus. But I tell you what, these variants, I think I had Delta in the summer. Matter of fact, I think I had it. I got it the afternoon of the, the first night of revival, our summer revival Brother Bobby Wade, I think I got it about 3 or 4 p.m. because all of a sudden my voice went hoarse. I had a headache. I, I remember getting up to introduce Brother Wade, and I had the most worst-sounding voice I've ever had. People are looking at me like, Justin, are you okay? But let me tell you, in the altar call, Brother Wade started uh, uh, prophesying healing over the church. Somebody was healed of tendonitis somebody in, in their foot. Somebody was healed of a bad shoulder injury. I raised my hands and I cursed the virus in my body. Amen. And I felt it leave. Jesus. And I, and I remember going home and writing down, I could feel it. I've got authority over these variants. And I'm pretty certain 
I've been praying for people that have been feeling bad and seeing them healed. Praise the Lord. From this. So God is helping us persevere. We need a breakthrough because COVID, COVID is, there's a spiritual element to it. And when I say spiritual, I believe that it is a weapon that has been designed to destroy, to disrupt. And this is why, you know, Dr. Fauci says one thing one day and another thing the next day. He's all over the map. They don't know what they're dealing with. This is not a virus like other viruses that have pathogens. Apparently, this virus does not have a pathogen. So it's not naturally born out of this earth or from a human or from an animal. Right. And therefore, I think that does make it spiritual in the sense that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So if this is a weapon that has been armed against humanity or even specifically against the church, then there must be some time somewhere where we can get spiritual authority, where we can gain spiritual authority. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll tell you, when I had COVID in September of 20, it only lasted for just really the intense part of it for 36 hours. Uh, the worst headache I've ever had. Uh, nausea. Yeah. Um, chills, fever, intense chills and fever. Mm-hmm. And the second night of it, I was laying in bed about midnight. And I literally felt a spirit of hopelessness come into my room and visit my mind and my spirit. It only lasted just for a few seconds, but I definitely could feel hopelessness. No prayer can help me. No drugs can help me. You know, nothing can get me out of this. Oh my God. I've never felt hopelessness like that in my entire life. And I recognized it finally when I realized what was going on. I recognized it for what it was. It was a spiritual attack of the devil. Yeah. Who would love to take hope out of all of us. Somebody must have been praying for me because it was just a wave that slept, swept over Jesus. me. And it did not last. But I will never forget that feeling. And it alerted me. It sort of hit me hard and woke me up that this is a spiritual attack against humanity and particularly the church. Mm-hmm. I felt it too, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this episode know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, I had horrible nightmares. Uh, I've talked about it on this podcast. I was stuck in some dungeon in the stream in China, and these Chinese doctors were trying to operate on me. <laughs> but And I had those dreams for about eight nights in a row, hmm. but I was able to fight my way out of it. and escaped back to America. (laughs) Oh my. But you know, they were so vivid. I, and I've, I've not even divulged all the details publicly yet, but it, um, it was crazy. And I felt from the Holy ghost, God was saying that virus is a real thing. I'm letting you see what that virus is seen. So with that, that sign and wonder, I am very convinced that this did originate out of China uh, this came out in the news today. The president, President Biden, has said there is no federal solution. This gets solved at the state level. There is now no federal solution. So now he's passing the buck. He said he had all the answer when he was running for president. <laughs> yeah. So politically, things are changing. So I remember a lot of... Uh, 
conservative opinionists were suggesting in the beginning of this, do selective quarantining, you know, leave it to the states, leave it to local jurisdictions. So this actually could be the very thing that we were hoping for. And it could be step in the right direction. We can only hope and pray that, uh, do you th- still think we're in the beginning of COVID-19 coming towards the end? Or are we smack dab in the middle of it? Boy, that's a really good question. It's really hard to say. Um, we're certainly not in the beginning. We're well into it. I would suggest with the advent of Omicron and uh, the impact it's having right now, again, on, I noticed the NHL has been postponed. Yeah. Um, you know, NFL football games have been canceled. And it's not to say that I'm a big sports fan, but I am here to say that there is a, it's impacting the culture. It's impacting America's entertainment. So it's on people's minds. Sure. And it's prolific still. Uh, Kids are, a lot of kids Mm. will be coming back from Christmas vacation, still having to wear masks in school. Right. It's frustrating teachers. And so we're, we're in the middle of it. Is it ever going to go away? I don't know. But the Lord will see us through. The Lord will use it for his glory. And the church has to rise and move forward. We'll find mm-hmm. a way to do that. I still have not yet talked to Sister Shaw about her vision. I hope I get to someday. It just seems to me like this is the spirit of Antichrist way of causing the powers to arise in China. Because China's been familiar with epidemics for centuries. You, know, you, you see the statues, like you go into a Chinese restaurant, you see the statues of men with their robes. You don't see their hands because their hands are together under their robes. Well, that came from centuries ago with epidemics. They figured out that sicknesses is transferred through human touch. So they wouldn't touch anything. They kept their hands covered. They never shook hands. They never hugged. They bowed to each other mm. and not a whole lot of talking to each other. You know, that's kind of the Asian social interaction. There's not much to it. And it's not because they don't want to. It's because they're afraid of getting sick. And they've been wearing masks in their major cities for Oh, we've seen that Decades. Sure. So what do you hear talks of now? A lot of communistic language. It's, what was his name? Mao. Mao Zedong. Yeah. It's the Maoism. Mao Zedongism, whatever. (laughs) But it's that type of communism not so much the russian communism but the chinese communism that i think a lot of the globalist uh deep state um <laughs> uh, and i'm trying not to get into conspiracy theorists but that's just kind of what i see and feel they're trying to put uh the way of china upon the world you know to weaken the nations yes perhaps I think from the very get go um but I'm not worried because we have a powerful church in China. Absolutely. And I want to say that at the very beginning of COVID here in the state, I was alerted, alarmed uh, severely by the Holy Ghost, not knowing what we were dealing with, but feeling something ominous attaching itself to COVID-19, hmm. something in the background something behind the scenes, almost like a marionette puppeteer, that the COVID was the puppet, but somebody else was pulling the strings and moving the strings behind the scenes. That first Sunday we went online, 
I will never forget, first of all, how powerful the presence of God moved into our service. Yes. There was just a few of us there, you and I, and I think Pastor Nathan Santomary was there, mm. and then our praise team, and, that, and then our production team. That right. was it. And when the presence of God came from that very first moment, I began to weep instantly. Mm. It just felt like the house filled with angels. But then I experienced something when I was preaching to an empty sanctuary. I felt pressure on my head and in my spirit and my physical body like I have never felt before. Not the kind of pressure you would preaching at a great big meeting somewhere, but it was a spiritual pressure. Hmm. And I began thinking about uh, when Paul was talking about we were pressed beyond measure. Wow. Out of strength. And yeah. one, one translation of that, he said, I thought we were going to die. And so what was that pressure? It was spiritual. Mm-hmm. There was a spiritual pressure unleashed on Paul to hinder, resist, and stop his effort when he was in Asia and other areas. And I just really f- seemed like, in some, to some degree, probably nothing like Paul, but I just felt that pressure. It felt like resistance. It truly did. That's the only time I felt it uh, since COVID, just like that. Mm-hmm. But it just made me aware. It helped me to know how to pray. It made me aware of, you know, something in the background that has attached itself to COVID. And that's really what we're up against. Amen. We've kind of already touched on this. I want to circle back around on it. A lot of churches right now, I think, feel small. Their pre-COVID numbers just aren't back yet. And maybe they are with the online viewers and things like that. But that's just kind of the... Just in seeing what, how people are talking on social media, other uh, uh, apostolic content creators out there, the way they're talking, it doesn't seem like anybody really is having big, booming revival right now. Everything feels kind of slow, like we're still recovering from a sickness. What would you say to the pastor in the church right now is, you know, we're, our doors are open, we're having church, but we just feel small, we feel inadequate, we feel powerless. You know, how do they get to the place where it's like Gideon, 300 men taking on thousands of enemy soldiers? What's something to do for churches that just feel small right now? You know, the Apostle Paul said that fire, uh, contrary to some people's theology, does not make us what we are, make us better. It exposes what we are. That's really sure. what he said. Fire reveals Does. whether we're built out of gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. So fire purifies the pure, and it destroys what is not pure. And I would say that COVID has exposed the fakes and pretenders from the committed and the sold out. Yes. Uh, there's a big difference between a crowd and a congregation. And the Hmm. crowd has not come back. The crowd has not recovered. The congregation has recovered. The congregation has come back. 
That's why everybody's down 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%. The most I heard in the last little bit is one congregation I know is still down 40%. Ooh. That's significant. But I will say that the congregation is there. And if they're not in the house of God, there are still congregants who are committed, perhaps worried about all the variants and so on. But I go on our live stream after it's been you know, released, and I want to see who's tuning in. <laughs> uh, I want to see who's there, who's with us. The congregation is there. And Jesus found out the difference between a crowd and a congregation in yeah. John chapter 6, you know, when he preached commitment. And, you know, thousands walked away that day. But it was the, the committed, or we could say the disciples, that were there with Jesus at the end of the day. And so I think, you know, to answer your question, the church is there. The church is alive. Uh, finances are good for the most part. Of every, we, you and I had coffee with a pastor and evangelist today, and they both had good reports about places where they've been. And yeah. the other pastor said, our church finances are up. And so we, you know, it's not all about finances, but people's giving tells you where their heart is. Mm. Solomon said, money answers everything. Yes. So. And so it says something about morale, how people feel about their church, yeah. how they feel about the future. And so I think the church is healthy. I think the church is in a good place. The church will adjust. The church will adapt. In the early church, in the book of Acts, Jerusalem was clicking along just fine. Persecution comes. Everybody is scattered and goes everywhere preaching the word. It didn't hurt the church. It didn't work against the church. It worked for the church. Amen. And began to fulfill Jesus' prophecy about Judea, Samaria, uh, the uttermost part of the earth. Praise God. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, that's profound. The crowd has not recovered, but the congregation has recovered. It's almost like as if God did test the church, like he tested Gideon's men. Yes. Everybody who's afraid, leave. Everybody who doesn't drink like an idol worshiper, you know, stay down to 300 people. And with that, they conquered. It's, it's, it's like the, the Mount of Ascension all over again, to go from thousands down to just 500, then 120, and all that. So God sometimes does that. And uh, not for one minute have I felt like God is worried during all of this. And <laughs> I, I, I don't think the Spirit is ever worried. No. Not one minute about it. God never has a bad day. He doesn't. He never has a problem. Mm. He's not caught off guard. He, he knew this was coming. And the church is right, right where it needs to be. Amen. A lot of uh, families struggled spiritually during all of this. Some families did great. You know, dads got to stay home and work, then spent time with their family. People were having home-cooked meals all over again, and we saw a lot of families get together. A lot of people prayed through. Great things happened, but there were some families that just struggled spiritually. And I think there's a lot of moms and dads out there that want their kids to pray through. They want their family to have a revival. What would you say to, the, to a house, to a home? 
the family. Well, uh, one thing that COVID has done is um, it is, I think, awakened leaders of homes. Yes. To realize that as apostolic committed believers, we actually need to worship and use three temples for worship. Of course, the temple of the Holy Ghost is the spirit of a man or a woman that has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost moved from the Holy of Holies in the temple to the Holy of Holies of our heart. And then certainly there's the temple of corporate worship, the campus, the building, wherever believers gather together on the first day of the week. But there's another temple that families don't take advantage of enough, and that is the home, the house. Amen. Where people sleep, take showers, eat, relax, have family time. And our homes need to once again come back to prayer, family harmony. Amen. Our homes don't need to be thoroughfares, you know, for, for entertainment for confusion, for disputing, for brokenness. They need to be sanctuaries. I had a man one time tell me that in 30 years, he never looked forward to going home one single time. And I cannot relate to that because I can't wait to get home and slam that door behind me and take a deep breath and (laughs) say, thank God. Me too. (laughs) I got back home. Our homes need to be a sanctuary. In fact, I got to tell you a story. So we had a new refrigerator uh, brought into the house a couple years ago. And I was not there at the delivery, but mom was. And she said these two burly guys got out of the truck and they were walking up in the house. And one of them said, now, ma'am, where are we going to put this refrigerator? And he was just walking right through our living room. And suddenly she said he stopped dead in his tracks and he put his hands out. And he said, whoa. She said, what is it? He said, ma'am, there's something in this house. Mm. She said, what do you mean? He said, no, ma'am, I'm telling you there's something in this house. She said, oh, that. I know exactly what that something is. She said, that's the presence of God. He said, ma'am, that is exactly what it is. That's what I'm talking about. Mm. When we have prayer and peace and harmony in our homes. This unites families. It gives children a great sense of security. And uh, we want the presence of God to visit our home. So we really need three temples. We need the house of God. We need our homes to be places of worship and sanctuary. And, of course, we entertain His presence in our spirit. Amen. Phenomenal wisdom. Days in this season, time we're in when we say the name Stan Gleason, the title, really not a title, but an idea comes to mind, and that is follow to lead. But uh, it's, 
I, I mean, it's it's a book. It's what we needed, and it's really uh, that idea followed to lead has captivated a lot of people. I guess classical evangelistic efforts felt so out of reach and really didn't feel beneficial for a lot of churches in making connections and relationships. So uh, people are still buying the book. I still see it all over social media. A lot of churches go through the book. Their staff, their whole church does it. Uh, we've done discipleship makers conferences here. So I, I want to spend the rest of this podcast talking about discipleship making. I remember when you were writing the book, I talked to you about some things that I discovered about rabbinical culture in the days of Christ and how when a rabbi would say, follow me, and it wasn't just Jesus that said that, that was a rabbinical phrase. It was not, hey, come and hang out with me or tag along, but it means become like me. And I, we were talking about, you know, who was Jesus, rabbi? And the only person I can see, you see it too, is John. Do you still think that? It was totally a rabbi and disciple relationship. There was one that stands among you. <laughs> yes, yes. There, undoubtedly, John impacted Jesus. That sounds even strange to say. It does, but he was a man. Exactly. He was older than Jesus. They were cousins. We don't know to what extent they had spent time together. I would not say that John and Jesus' rabbi-disciple relationship was a daily intense thing, but there are similarities that I touched on in the book. In fact, you were the inspiration for that idea, and I thought it was such a great idea that is it possible that John uh, impacted Jesus' ministry? Mm. And there are some similarities. Honestly, off the top of my head, I don't remember, and maybe you could comment on that, Justin, because you were the one that inspired me about that. But, you know, obviously they had disciples. John had disciples. Jesus had disciples. Um, in fact, John sent his disciples to Jesus. Um, and so undoubtedly, you know, Jesus was God. He was the embodiment of the word, the word made flesh. Uh, but he was not exempt from influence of others. Uh, you know, his dialect was impacted by an accent, perhaps a Nazarene, you know, from Nazareth, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the food that he ate, perhaps the way that he combed his hair perhaps some of the clothing items that he wore. It was cultural. Sure. And, and so it's not beyond the realm of possibility that Jesus was greatly mm -hmm. impacted by John. John was powerful. John was a mover and a shaker. He shook the world. He shattered the darkness. Mm -hmm. And no doubt, yeah. he, he impacted Jesus. Who baptized Jesus? There you go, for starters. Let's start right there. <laughs> uh, who prepared the way? for him uh who made the crooked places straight who leveled the mountains who raised raised the valleys which is what rabbis do it's exactly what they do uh what do pastors do for their people what what do they do for their Clear staff a path prepare the way and what do you do when you're making a disciple do you baptize them absolutely <laughs> do you want to be there to witness a voice come from heaven upon them like oh, tongues yes. 
There you go. Do you want to uh, speak against mountains that are in front of them? Do you want to tell those valleys to rise up, those crooked places to be straight, those Amen. rough places? It's there. It takes all that That's to make the be- a disciple. Discipleship is in the beginning of the New Testament. Yes. And, it, and, it's, and it's seen through the prophets who prophesied about one who would come and prepare the way of the Lord. So it's, it's there. And uh, Jesus lived it, modeled it, and did it. And I, th- I think to fulfill righteousness, to use a baptism phrase that Jesus used, it's, it's the way to do it. It's the only way to do it, and it's been restored. And uh, people are doing it, and we've uh, we got to stay with it. You know, we've, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of uh, disciple making that happened through Zoom and other office applications, and it's still possible to do it. Praise God. Discipleship is a friendship thing. It's a uh, camaraderie thing, but it's also a commitment thing. And I've heard you say through the years, and you brought it up in this book, uh, around uh, page 83 to 84, that you said, I have yet to lose a committed person because I preached commitment. <laughs> That's a statement. So how do you, a commitment's a hard thing to preach. You know, we're Americans, we want our freedom to come and go as we please, right? <laughs> right? But commitment's spiritual. You're not afraid to preach it. How have you seen that in building a church and building people and preaching commitment? Yeah, I love this question because Jesus hit this head on going back again to John 6. And I, in a sort of a fun way, call it Fish and Chips Sunday. You know, loaves and fishes. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. and <laughs> Let's go to five, Culver's and get a fish sandwich after this. <laughs> 5,000 men plus women and children. It sounds like Sunday church. A big crowd, dinner on the grounds, mm. miracles, you know, free stuff giveaways. We do everything we can to get people to come to church. We've all done it. You know, gas cards and groceries. and yeah. But at the end of the day, what do you have to show? What for do you me? have? Nothing unless you preach commitment. Right. I sort of imagine Peter, James, and John, the executive committee, as Jesus is getting ready to preach, asking each other, did you see his notes today? <laughs> I hope he's got a good feel-good sermon because we got 20,000 today. Next Sunday, after all this miracles and food and dinner on the grounds, 40,000. We're just going to double every week from now, you know, till Jesus comes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're thinking, you know, he's going to really light it up. And here he says, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you and no part of me. And I can just see Peter, James, and John. They're like, oh, boy, he blew it. Nobody, look, they're already starting to walk out. They're leaving. And Jesus discerned their response. He said, is this a hard saying? Does this offend you? And you know what? He let them walk away. And he didn't chase them. He didn't send them text messages. I'm sorry if the sermon was too hard. (laughs) Didn't send them an email. Forgive us if... The sound system was too loud, you know, or if I preach, you know, too much sacrifice, come back next Sunday, it'll be a little bit easier, a little bit better. I wasn't, didn't really have visitors in mind when I was preaching today. (laughs) You know, it wasn't any of that. Mm. He didn't chase them. He let them go because he knew he couldn't reach the world with consumers. 
That's what those people were. They were consumers. Jacob's on the back row with his wife, Sarah, and the three kids, and he looks at her and said, well, the food was great. The show was amazing, but the sermon was too hard. Where do you want to go to church next Sunday? And they followed him no more. John chapter 6, verse 66 clearly says that. So as a pastor, I learned a long time ago that I have to preach commitment if I want to find out who's sitting in the pews. Yes. Because consumers... And those who heap to themselves, teachers having itching ears, they won't be back. And it's not that I want to be a tough guy and run people off. Believe me, that is not my nature. I want to attract, but I don't have an attraction model at our church. Our church is a commitment model. It's a, are you sold out? That's the model of our church. If you're at the Life Church long enough, you're going to hear something about sacrifice and commitment and sure. you know, giving your life away and living for something bigger than yourself. Amen. And I think Jesus teaches us this, and any pastor who is hesitant to preach commitment is doing themselves and the person in the pew a a great disservice because it's the model of Jesus, and it really exposes who is there and what's in them. Amen. Another word that I've heard you use a lot through the years, along with commitment, is the word vision. And you write on page 92, a vision is a compelling picture of the future that inspires passion. Now, what are some principles for leaders who are casting vision for their, for their youth group, for their children's ministry, their discipleship group, uh, even the praise team, choir, ushers, senior pastors, presbyters, superintendents? What are some principles uh, for leaders to use to create vision that really engages hearts? Yes. Of the people. Yeah, great question. So my mind is spinning right now. So let me see if I can put my thoughts together. So yes, my definition of a vision is a compelling picture of the future that inspires passion. So a leader has the responsibility and the privilege of visualizing the future. What could the future look like? What could it be like? And if that vision is compelling, it will create a response. You know, if I get up on Sunday and say, now this year in 2022, bless God, we're going to paint the bathrooms of the church. You know, that's going to inspire nobody. Nobody. And it won't raise a dollar. Okay. But if you get up and you say, in the next 36 months, we are going to extend our children's wing by 7,000 square feet and have a 145-seat children's sanctuary with additional educational rooms. And we're going to finish our 7,000-square-foot family life center where we'll have stage lighting, we'll have mood lighting, we'll have great events, we're going to have athletic events and church events, uh, we're going to expand our sanctuary another 300 seats. Uh, and, you know, retiring the debt doesn't really inspire anybody. But when you package it with these three things that are the original vision anyway, and coming back to it, that inspires passion. Now, mm-hmm. I learned a long time ago, you can't ask for a hand until you touch a heart. Mm. The heart has to be impacted. That's the truth. The heart has to be served. The heart has to be touched in some way. Either you came to the hospital and you prayed for their sick grandmother 
whether God healed her or not, you were there. Amen. You touched a heart. You walked slowly through the crowd, and you took time to speak a word of hope and encouragement to someone. They never forgot it, and they come back 30 years later, which is what happened to me, and say, I'll never forget the way you made me feel when I was despondent and ready to give up. You can ask for that person's hand because you've touched their heart. So as leaders, when we touch hearts, we can ask for hands. So when we cast a vision, you know, uh, I heard John Maxwell say one time, what does it take to raise a million dollars? When he posed that question, I'm like, man, how do you raise a million dollars? Yeah. The answer is simple. You just need a million dollar idea. <laughs> that is so simple. Yeah. And idea. in the last 34 months, our church has given $1.7 million to a vision. It's compelling. It inspires passion. It inspires grandparents. I can't wait till my grandkids are in there. That children's center or, you know, my children or my neighbor's children or whatever. Yes. And to see the sanctuary expanded, another 300 seats, making room for 300 more disciples. Amen. You know, so, uh, you know, we could get up and say, well, you know, we want to lay down new carpet. That doesn't inspire anybody. <laughs> it has to be compelling. Amen. It has to impact people. You have to demonstrate how it's going to impact lost people because that's the mission of the church. Amen. It's very rare anymore nowadays that you come across somebody with a bad vision, like uh, a new paint in the bathroom or something. I think the conferences like Because of the Times, books like Follow to Lead, Things Brother Bernard has written, has really changed the way a lot of, a lot of pastors think. I mean, the vision is there, but I'm afraid I think I see too many visions not come to pass. Sure. What do you think are some common barriers that are keeping a vision coming to pass? Is it um, a system? Yes. A problem or maybe an unrealistic goal? or It could be an unre- unrealistic goal. Uh, you know, if a pastor of 50 people got up and said, you know, this year we're going to baptize 1,000, everybody's going to roll their eyes. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that realism has to be dumbed down. Sure. But uh, I, I think that, you know, one of the hindrances to vision coming to pass is culture. Sure. Yeah. I read a statement one time that says, culture eats vision for breakfast. Oh. So in other words, a pastor can get up and present this awesome vision, all these things we're going to do. But if the culture of the church doesn't support the vision, the vision's not going to last. Another thing that I see is sometimes pastors think that God gives them this this great vision. In fact, I'm going to be fasting and praying this week. I always do the week between Christmas and New Year's. And I just try to get alone and quiet with God and so that I can hear his voice clearly. And God has been speaking to me the last several weeks about 2022. But this year, this week, I'm setting aside some special time. I really want to dial up and I really want to hear the voice of the Lord. If the culture 
doesn't support the vision, it, it's not sustainable. And the pastor sometimes has to change his own culture. If he thinks that he's just going to preach a great sermon on Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, and it's going to last for 12 months, there is no way because vision leaks. And I would say the air of a vision leaks out about every 30 days. People are Mm. so distracted. People are so busy with jobs and family and commitments that we have to fight for the vision of the church. We have to, we're battling, we're in competition. And so we have to bring it back about every 30 days. We really do. We have to see, we have to say a vision clearly. We have to speak it consistently and creatively so that we can capture the vision of the congregation. And uh, I think this is one of the reasons why we, to some extent, have disciple-making in the culture of our church. Because for years and years, we're entering our ninth year now, I think, since we've been talking about, you know, reading the Bible through the lens of disciple-making. And, you know, we, we don't have everybody on board. We might have 20, actually 20% of our congregation is really committed to making disciples. But I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm not satisfied, but I'm okay. Because I learned a long time ago the Prattle principle. 20% of the people do 80% of everything. That's just the way it is. You can't fight that. You can't break that. Some pastor that tells me everybody in our church is on board with everything we're doing is self-deceived. It just doesn't work that way. You know, the best Jesus could do was 90%. 92%. 92%. 11 out of 12. <laughs> that's not bad. Not bad. <laughs> that's pretty good. I would take 92% of anything, but I'm not Jesus, but I'm trying to be like him. Amen. And uh, that's profound. Well, that's good stuff. Um, I've heard you say one, another problem that a lot of leaders have. It's not the lack of vision or a system, but it's like the pastor is way out there ahead of everybody. You know, what are some good principles, leadership principles for for pastor, how to not be 25 steps ahead, but maybe two steps ahead. Yeah, sure. Well, it's very easy for spiritual leaders to get caught away in visions and dreams. Um, and we can, I mean, you know, everybody has sort of a life speed. And I know that my life speed is very fast. I can get out of a car faster than anybody. I get in a car faster than anybody. Mm. I um, and you can drive with your knee while you drink coffee. I can do that. How you do that, I will never. <laughs> I'm not trying that again. <laughs> no. And uh, I just and you know, I know I'm an annoying driver, but I'm not going to let anybody else decide for me how fast I'm going to go. I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I haven't. I don't remember the last time I had a speeding ticket. It's probably been 25 years. That's good. Um. But I'm not going to let the knucklehead in front of me decide, you know, if I'm going to make that light or not. (laughs) You know, that's what the passing lane's for. And so as leaders, we can just run off and leave people behind us and Mm -hmm. turn around and look back and nobody's following. Which brings to mind one of my favorite leadership quotes, and that is, he who thinks he's leading and has no one following is only taking a walk. So leadership, plain and simple, is influence. So we have to look back and see, is anybody following us? Someone once said, I think it might have been John Maxwell, 
I've read so many books on leadership, I'm not sure, but I think he might have said, a leader who is one step ahead is a mentor, but a leader that's one mile ahead is a martyr. Mm. People can follow someone who's just one or two steps ahead, but they will crucify someone who is a mile ahead because he creates frustration without taking anyone with him on the journey and expecting everybody to get up to speed and they don't have the tools or the resources or the ability to do that. And so uh, we, it's, there's sort of a tension there, you know, as far as leading the way, but not being so far into the future that we lose connection and we lose um, relativity to where people are. Mm. This is one of the reasons that I walk through the crowd on Sunday mornings before I go and preach on the platform. Yes. I was taught to walk slowly through the crowd. And because the reason for that is because I want to know where people are. Now, there's a risk. You can be sabotaged. Oh, God. Somebody can drop a bomb on you when you're walking through Not the Not everybody crowd. enters into his gates with thanksgiving. Went through his gates with complaining and venting. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it, it does make you vulnerable, but it is, it's risk-reward. It is far more worth the reward than it is the risk. Amen. Yeah. To have those short prayers with grandmas and to touch those newborn babies mm-hmm. and maybe shake a hand of a guest and just feel where the people are. and. When, when you have that, I'm never going to be one of these pastors that walks from my parsonage to my car, to the church parking lot, to my office, to the platform, back to the office, back to the car, back to the parsonage. That leader, you know, has an inflated ego of himself. Sure. And that's not my view of what a pastor is, a shepherd. A shepherd smells like sheep. Yes. A shepherd is around the sheep. He touches them. He, he cajoles them. He comforts them. You know, he gets them back on their feet when they fall and yes. what have you. The whole Psalm 23 process. So I think the key is lead, but don't get too far ahead that nobody can see where you are. Oh, wow. That's it. And I think anybody who's listening to this and they realize maybe my church isn't growing the way I hoped it would. Maybe you're way out there and nobody can catch up to you. Just taking a few steps back, walk slowly through the crowd, take time. And one more thing. Yeah. Model the behavior you want to see reproduced in your people. Don't get up with big ideas and then you do nothing about it. Mm -hmm. You have to model it. Here's the way it's done. Watch me do it then you can do it. Amen. Amen. Get among the people, practice what you preach, and watch your church explode. Exactly. <laughs> Amen. Follow to lead. Amen. Powerful book. Great book. A book that everybody listening to this should acquire and read. It's available at Amazon.com and Pentecostal Publishing. Follow to lead by Stan Gleason. Dad, you're a great author. Uh, you have a, a, a great uh, command of the English language. 
Uh, are you writing any more books? Can you give us a teaser? <laughs> well, that's a loaded question. Yes, I've completed two more books during COVID. They're both at the publishers right now. One is at Word of Flame, and it is. Uh, don't don't cut me off before I finish everything I want to say about this. It's about church money. But it's not about accounting. I had a young pastor in mind when I wrote it, really any pastor. It's a resource, and I don't think really we have anything quite like it. Uh, But it's uh, the pre-published title is The Start and the Finish of Giving. And I have 15 short chapters of all things church money, how to talk about it, how to present it. Um, I'll give you an example of why this book needed to be written. A pastor called me a few months ago, and he said, I'm really having financial trouble in the church. I said, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever preached or taught about stewardship and giving? He said, no. I said, how long have you been the pastor? He said, 16 years. I said, let me get this straight. In 16 years, you've never preached the one subject that Jesus taught about twice as much as heaven and hell combined? And it's the average person in your congregation is going to have two and a half million dollars go through their hand in a work career. And you've never talked about money. Why? He said, because I don't want them to think that I'm, uh, you know, greedy and a money grabber. I said, come on, get over that immediately. Yeah. And so I have 15 chapters. I don't have the time to unpack all of that. Then I have 104 two minute offering messages. I see too many churches throwing the offering segment away on Sunday. It adds no cultural value. It brings no vision, no inspiration to giving. Some, some you know, nondescript guy gets up and says, all right, now we're going to get up here and take the offering. Offering. Well, I can't stand the word. <laughs> offering. The word right. take for the offering. It's we're going to receive. Uh, don't say take. That's receive. in my book. It's yeah. in one of my chapters. Receive That's right. that offering. So 104 two-minute offering message, which dignifies the offering moment. Yeah. And brings it, gives it purpose nice. and adds value to the service. The last section of the book is uh, 10 of what I would consider to be my best messages on stewardship and giving. So that's the one book. The other book is entitled The Unflawed Leader, which can only be about one person, our Lord and Savior Jesus. And the tagline to the book is creating a Christ-like culture of wellness in the local church. I've seen too much dysfunction and too much inappropriate behavior, some of it inspired, unfortunately, by church leaders. I don't mean just pastors. The people in influence in the congregation. And so this is a pushback. And I have 14 chapters, each treating Jesus in a real-time moment in his life and ministry on this earth. How he spoke, how he led, how he talked to people, how he handled problems, how he dealt with difficult situations. And there are chapters in this book where I deal with Situations I've never read in any book, I've never heard anybody talk about. And I'm not saying that I'm anything special, but I'm saying it's a message whose time has come. I'll just give you one example. Just one example is I've never read anything about Jesus being accountable. But I have a chapter on Christ-like leaders are accountable. 
Now, I've read a lot of books on accountability, but I've never read anything about Jesus being accountable or how Jesus lived in peace and walked in peace. I have a chapter on the powerful weapon of peace. Nobody thinks about peace as a spiritual weapon, but it's there. I don't, I've never read anything or heard anything about Jesus and how functional he was with his family. I hear preachers try to distance Jesus from his mother and from his brothers. Give me a break. His mother got saved on the day of Pentecost. His brother becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Yes. And you have to have integrity and credibility with your family if you're suffering on the cross. They're not looking up and saying, oh, he's got a messianic complex. No, 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 no. That's my son. That's my brother. He's the savior of the world. Jesus had integrity with his family. So I've got a chapter on Christ-like leaders are famous in their family. And it's, uh, it's at the publisher. It won't be out for a few months, but that's what's coming. Wow. You heard it first here. You heard it first at here. Justin C. Gleason Podcast. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Wow. Well, these are great ideas that I am excited to read about. Uh, you write books that really grow people, develop people. And your books really do have the power that a book should have, and that is the power of a new idea. The power of a new idea. I thank the Lord. Dad, appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of you and your life, your your family, your blessing to me, to your mother, to our congregation, to our fellowship. You're in demand. You're important. Your voice is significant. And I'm so thankful and proud of the man of God that you are and continue to grow into. The Lord is with you. Aww. Thanks, Dad. Love you. Love you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And a happy new year to you, Dad. Oh, yes. 2022. Dad. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, my dad, the pastor of the Life Church of Kansas City, and your assistant general superintendent of the Western Zone, Stan Gleason. I am the name of the rest. Gonna go to the place that's